Hey, thanks for coming to another episode of the United Podcast. So, one of you that listens, very lovely, uh, sent us a message and told us you voted for us on the British Podcast Awards, which we didn't even know was an option, to be honest. So, it turns out you can vote for us if you go to the BritishPodcastingAwards.com and then search for the United Podcast. Uh, it turns out this has been open since May. We didn't realise. It closes in a week. So, it would be really cool if you gave us a vote. Uh, if not, please enjoy the episode anyway. And thank you, as always, for listening. On with the pod. Hello and welcome back to another Manchester United podcast. I'm Sam and as always, Helen and Maisie are here too. Guys, how are we? All good. Good. What were you doing there, Maisie? Uh, nothing. We're in lockdown, obviously, so we're on Zoom. And as I was speaking there, you're looking for a little telescope or something. I bought myself a telescope, yeah. What are you looking for? Do you know what, Maisie? Do you know why? Do you know why I got it? Go tell me SpaceX. Yeah. Why did you never tell me about this? Tell me to get a telescope. We always share our conversations about SpaceX and rockets. Do you know what? It, it, it was just a thing off the cuff. Off the cuff, right. It was just a thing off the cuff, yeah. What's yeah. great is people will think, oh, they probably planned a bit of silly chat at the beginning. Literally, yeah. as I was speaking, I just saw him in his house playing with a telescope. Yeah. What were you even looking at? You're in your own room. I was looking at uh, the neighbour across the road, seeing how good, <laughs> how, how close I can get to him. <laughs> Well, yeah. that sounds creepy. I'm going to yeah, get myself sorry. a telescope. <laughs> yeah, so our guest this week, we're well known to MUTV viewers and to those fans who remember United in the 80s and at the beginning of Sir Alex Ferguson's reign as United manager. Uh, we are going to talk to Viv Anderson. Uh, Maisie, do you know him well? I do, yeah. I do. I've known Viv probably now the last um, 13 or 14 years. I've played against him a couple of times. and um, But no, our paths started, or our, our paths crossed then. After I'd retired and, you know, they had these um, games over in uh, Malaysia and stuff like that. And Viv was part of it. So, great lad. Very, very funny. He'll tell some wonderful stories today. Obviously, under Brian Clough as well. Mm -hmm. Two unbelievable characters to to play under. The gaffer and, obviously, Brian Clough. But um, top lad. He's a really, really great lad. And the first black player to play for England. Mm Mm-hmm. Incredible record. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Helen, you've met him a few times, right? Yes. I used to work with Viv very regularly, actually. And then I kept having children, so I haven't seen him in a long time. But <laughs> he's such a happy guy, Maisie, isn't he? He is. He's great. He's great fun. Great stories as well. Great, great lad to be out in, in his company. He is. We'll get him on then, shall we? Yep. Here we go. This is our chat with Viv Anderson. So our latest guest on the podcast is Viv Anderson. How are you, Viv? Helen, how are you? Long time no speak. Long time no speak, indeed. Last time I saw you, you were in the, you were at school, I think. She was at school. Yes. <laughs> that's a long time ago. Long ago it was. Was back in 2004. <laughs> exactly, yes. How are you? How has life been in lockdown for you and your family? Um, yeah, fine, we're coping. Luckily enough, I've got a school teacher as a, a partner, so she's been school homeschooling, not me. <laughs> Are you doing little bits or not? Absolutely nothing, thank you very much. <laughs> you, must, you must be mad. What about PE lessons? PE lessons, have, no. Have you seen him play? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, we take him out and do a bit of exercise and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been hard, but we've got through it. Good. Uh, have you spent any time in lockdown listening to podcasts? Is that something that you do? 
No, I'm constantly on Netflix. <laughs> so I've been through all sorts, I have. What have you been watching? Afterlife, Ozark. Uh, what's the one with um, Michael Jordan in? Last Dance. Last Dance. Oh, Seen those. Very good. So I've done, I've, I've done everything you could possibly imagine. Queen of the South, you name it, I've done them all. So loads of Netflix and no homeschooling. I like the balance. Yes, absolutely, yes. <laughs> and no podcasts. Have you ever listened to our podcast? Absolutely no chance. <laughs> Do you listen to any podcasts, Viv? I did one the other. I've been I've done a few. Um no, but do you listen to them? Somebody from Barnsley did I did a, one live on a Friday night. I've done uh, four or five, but I don't listen to them. No. <laughs> you might listen to this one. Well, these 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 are like the best ever. Oh, the best ever. Yeah, they are. So yeah, presumably oh, you'll good. send it to me and I can share it on my uh, platform. Exactly. Precisely, yeah. If you want, you can plug that platform now. Yes, go. It is play on official. I think. I'm not sure what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's play on official, yes. So uh, I will uh, I will plug that and put it on there once once Maisie sends it to me. Perfect. It's all on Maisie. You'll never get it. Yeah, true. What um what are you doing with yourself at the minute, Viv? Is that what you're concentrating your time on? Play on pro? Yeah, I've had a company called Play on Pro for three years. So what we do is try and look after People like Maisie, when they retire, and give them something to do. Instead of doing silly programmes like this, we'll give them some guidance <laughs> on what to do. Because uh, remember, I think 75% of ex-footballers, especially sports people I'm talking about, get divorced within the first year of retirement because they're used to going to certain places, meeting up with the lads and the rest of it. But once you're sitting there, no disrespect, Helen, sitting there with a wife day in, day out, you can go shopping for the first two weeks. What do you do after that? So they need some somewhere to go, somebody to speak to. So we have an app for them. We've got over 500 ambassadors now. And we try to get them work. Maisie's done a few things with us. Done a question. You got a question answer the other day for us. Yeah, you know, I did, yeah. Like the darts yeah. thing and things like that. So we try and put things together for them. We do, we've been to um, Hong Kong for the last three years. We've done a, over 35s tournament there. So we put a team together there with Peter Reed and Amy Oleski and people like that. Reed didn't play, he was the manager, as I may add there. But um, <laughs> all we try and do is try to and remember it's not just about footballers. We've got golfers, we've got cricketers, we've got athletes, we've got we've even got a snooker player. So and it's men and women. It's not just about footballers, although 80% is our footballers. We've got a wide range of sports and sports people involved. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant, Viv. Really, really good. They all need they all need something to do, and and if they, and and if they do get into trouble, whatever reason, whether it be drugs, whether it be mental health, whether this is an app, it's secure app, it's fingerprint only, invite only, and they can text one another and say, well, "Who did you speak to?" It makes self help groups as well. Yeah, it's something that maybe the PFA should be doing. I've speak to the BFA on nine occasions, so they like they love the idea, but they say, "Come back when it works," and I say, "Well." Well, it works. I won't hear you, Gordon. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah exactly. Yeah, that's it. that's where we're at. And well, as I say, we've got five hundred, and it's growing daily, so it's good. Good. Five hundred is a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah. It sounds like it is working. It's a, it, is, it is a brilliant app. It, is. it didn't start that way. I mean, for instance, Maisie, in this lockdown, golf's come around, and you can play golf. So I look on the app and I go, "Oh, there's a lad called uh, Damian Taylor." who did, uh, he played on the circuit, but he coached uh, Rory McIlroy and people like that. So I went down to uh, High Lee 
um, so made up with him. So I'll have a couple of golf lessons because I've got nothing else to do. I'm not homeschooling. <laughs> I'm not yeah. watching Netflix because I'm bored now. So <laughs> I might as well try golf. So I've had, uh, had a golf <laughs> lessons the other day and I'm going back on next Wednesday. So, and we, we get, he gives them discount to the ambassadors. We've got restaurants. We've got the Ivy in, in Manchester. We get discounted uh, there. You get tables there. So different things that they take for granted when they're playing, we try and give them through the app. Brilliant. That's brilliant, Viv. Love that idea. Yeah, that's really cool. Johnny will be on it soon. I know. I was just thinking when you said they're over 35, so I was like, flip me no, Johnny in two so, years. That's so we've got Grealish. We've got Harry Winks. We've got people that play it now. That, All you right, know, okay. Current it's not players, just yeah. about the. It's not just ah, about the players. Retired players. Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, anybody who, who wants to be involved, and it's a, it's a secure app. Nobody, if anybody gets into it, they can't get their numbers or email mm-hmm. addresses. It's just a picture, and that's it. So uh, it's very secure, and we're trying to build it up as much as we can. Sam, you need to get on that. You could make some more football friends. I could make more football friends. Do you need more football friends? More football he does. friends? He thinks that Paul Scholes is his best friend. We're great mates. <laughs> we're really good pals now. Friends. He won't stop messaging. He's a bit clingy. He won't stop messaging me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Viv, so take us back to the very beginning, because you grew up in Nottingham, right? Yes, this is before the war or after the war. <laughs> you tell us. <laughs> Which war? <laughs> yeah, the Boer War, maybe. <laughs> yes, born and bred in Nottingham, yes. And what was life like for you as you grew up? What were your passions? What were your interests? What was your family set up? Let me think. My passion would be uh, maths. Yes, I was great at maths. <laughs> now, my passion was obviously football. I played football from morning, noon and night. So I uh, sadly, my parents aren't with us now. Uh, but uh, we, I was brought upon, wasn't brought upon. I, I moved to the biggest council estate in not in in the in Europe at the time. It was so uh, I had lots of friends, and uh, my child was very very happy. Yeah, nice. Any siblings? I've got a younger brother. Nice. Is that useful for football? Could you stick him in goal? Uh, from time to time, but he contracted polio when he was very young. So he's had polio since he was eight, nine. No way. Mm. Wow. But Man United daft, and he used to, I used to get him season tickets when I played, and he used to go up with his mates every week, home and away, and he was Man United daft. He doesn't go so much now, but um, he did back in the day. Mm-hmm. So football probably in the streets all day when you weren't at school with your friends? Yes, all the day. So park near me, um, used to play there all the time. Yeah, football, noon and night, yeah. Do you still have friends from growing up at that, that yeah, period? Yeah, 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 I go, I go back quite regular, um, and I meet up with friends now who I went to school with, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not many of them, but there's, mm-hmm. there's about half a dozen we meet up now and again, mm-hmm. so yeah. Who did you support, Viv, when you were young? I was a Manchester United supporter. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, uh, as a schoolboy, I think when I was 14, 15, I used to go to Manchester, Manchester for every school holiday. I stayed with Johnny Aston's mum and dad on occasion, and we train, and then... After training, if it was if if they were around, we watched Best Lawn Charlton train on the next pitch. It was like that. Mm. So I went up for a year, up and back, up and back, along with Irish internationals, English internationals, uh, Welsh internationals, all from all around the country, coming to train at Manchester United at that time. And after the year, going back as a force, they said, "I don't think you could be good enough, son." So I went back to Nottingham and got a job as a silk screen printer, which. In glorified terms, means I used to get the teas and get the sandwiches at lunchtime. 
<laughs> what is silk screen? I've no idea what that means. Silk screen. Well, if you look on the back of lorries, uh, it says inflammable. Flammable. Yeah. And they, they, uh, you print you print those out and then and then put them on and stickers. Oh, okay. So basically, it was <laughs> a, a very very sticker maker. That's it, good lad. That's it. Orange. <laughs> you see orange stickers, you'll think of me on the back of lorries, won't you? <laughs> How old, sorry, were you when you did that, Viv? I was, I came back to Nottingham, got a job. So I'd left school, 16. What year was this? Oh, do me a favour, Maisie. I don't remember what day it was yesterday. <laughs> How am I going to remember that far back? <laughs> what year was you born? 1956. So it would have been about 1970. Right, so that's 16 up to that. It'd be, it'd yeah. be, it'd be wow. early 70s. I'll make my debut. It'd be, it'd be 1970, 71, something like that. Oh, that'd have been one year old. So I went back to Nottingham. I went back to Nottingham, got this job, and then somebody contacted me from Nottingham Forest and said, "We'd like you to play in the youth team as a trial." So I went to have a game on the Wednesday, and on the Saturday they said, "Would you come back?" Came back again. And then they signed me after that. So I was a silk screen printer for the all of five weeks. Oh. <laughs> life skills, life skills. Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> During those five weeks, did you think that your opportunity in football may have passed and actually this was it now, you're going to learn a trade and, and Absolutely. get on with life? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought, uh, having going up back... For a year, you're thinking, oh, they like me, they like me. Kept on going back, kept yeah. on going back. And then after the year, they said, get lost. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I thought, I've got to go. And, well, my parents said, you've got to go and get a job now. So I got a job. Uh, I went for a few jobs and finally got this one. And uh, and then that happened after that. How did you end up doing the training sessions with United in the first place? How did you get picked up or, or seen by somebody there? I went up the, uh, probably a year before, a couple of years before. I was on a beach playing with a football on my own. And some boy came up, you know, with a curly tash and said, would you like a trial? That's very suspicious. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, seriously? Yeah, seriously, yeah. Uh, a beach where, by the way? Where was this beach? Uh, Skegness. We couldn't afford to go abroad. Skegness was the place to be. And you were just on your own and this guy just came up and said, do you, yeah, what? Yeah. No way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I should say for anyone listening, if you're on a beach playing football and someone walks up and does yeah. this, don't necessarily assume yeah. that that's going to be a good thing. <laughs> Time yeah. I would say run if I were you. Yeah. <laughs> that's unbelievable. So I uh, playing with the ball on my own because my brother had polio then. He was with my parents. I was just messing about with the ball. And the boy comes up to me and says... Would you like a trial for Sheffield United? So and I don't know about that. So I took him back to my parents and they say, and he says the same thing. So I end up going to Sheffield United for a trial. And in that trial, Manchester United saw me. Uh, so I end up going to Manchester United. Wow. That's, that's um what was you doing? What was you like Ronaldo then? Just doing <laughs> all these fancy oh, flicks hey, or hey, what was you doing? Hey, I've seen you try keeping a ball up. I wasn't always crap mazy, you know. <laughs> When I was 12, 13, I could shake a move, don't we? Like where, where did you play at this age? Because I'm guessing you weren't a right back at that age, especially if you're, presumably you're better than everybody else in the area. So I mean, I, I played at school, I played, I was centre forward at school. So I scored loads of goals at school. Yeah. So uh, We all were. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Everybody was. was. As Maisie would, would say, because when we played five sides, I always played up front. I would, they would say, can you play at the back? I said, no, no, I want to play at front. I want to score goals. Even when I was 39, always played up front, never played at the back. So I enjoyed playing centre forward. So I was a centre forward and then slowly but surely, I think I didn't go to Manchester United or Sheffield United as, as forward 
I think I, I think I did play right back. Oh wow! Yeah, because there's that famous quote, isn't there? Of uh, nobody grows up wanting to be a Gary Neville. You don't often get younger players doing the fullback positions. No, no, it's that and the goalkeeper. It's the last position you go get him in goals. He's useless. Get him out of the way. <laughs> and the next position was the fullback. Yeah. <laughs> There can't be many professional footballers who have been scouted on a beach on their own, not even as part of like a five-a-side, just literally on their own. Um, That's incredible. I never thought about it. I never thought about that, like that, Helen. But yeah. Well, every podcast that we have done, they kind of all go around the same theme of players playing for their provincial area, and you know there was a, there's a pattern, but. This is quite a unique one. I love it. I played for Nottingham Schoolboys and all the rest of it like that, but yeah. on this, but never got never got for a trial from the, on the back of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a little bit earlier than that, I think, presumably, because oh, everything was later. Apprenticeship was later. You don't have them like now. I've got one yeah. at the City Academy who's who's been there since he was six. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing like that when I was playing. Yeah. So you played for your local team or local team, and if you got scouted, you got scouted. And I was lucky that was in in Skegness my parents and somebody said come and have a try What's I feel your... like we're going we're gonna to have to ask just very quickly sorry Helen go ahead why the City Academy Put, listen to me right the missus says let him go and play somewhere play football locally so we we took him to this and I went he'll never be a footballer as long as he's got a hole in his arse right <laughs> so we enjoyed it and then after about six weeks, somebody said, uh, "Oh, Liverpool will want to. They have a little academy at the Trafford Centre on a on a Wednesday after, Wednesday night. Would he Would he like to come?" So that kid said, "Yeah, he'd like to come." So he went there. Was there about four weeks, and then they said, "Oh, come to Melwood." Wait, what? This kid who who can't play? <laughs> it was Melwood. So we take him to Melwood, and he he likes it, enjoys it, and then. Man United said, would you come to our academy? So he went there. Then his Man City said, can you come to our academy? So I'd pick him up from school. Helen would know exactly what I'm talking about. Put different, I wouldn't have time to feed him, have a sandwich in the car and put a different shirt on him. So it'd be Man United colours on a Wednesday. Then it'd be Liverpool on a Thursday. And then Man City <laughs> on, a, on a whatever day. And I'm going, hey, whoa, I'm not doing this all day long. Somebody make a decision if you want him or you don't want him. So... Um, City said, we'll have him. And I said, the kid, do you, do you want to go there? He said, yeah. So he's been there ever since. No, how, how old, sorry, did you say he's 13? Yeah, he's under 13s years. What position does he play? Fullback, and he sometimes plays centre-back. Right. But he enjoys it, that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, concentrate your education. Don't worry about that. <laughs> that's the most important thing. Your education starts to suffer, you're not going anywhere. Simple. So, Viv, back to you. You joined Nottingham Forest in 1974, is that correct? Uh, somewhere around there. Ellen, you know me in dates. Oh, God, I, <laughs> I made my debut... 70, somewhere in the 70s. 73, 74, something like that. Mm-hmm. There was a lad, a man called Matt Gillis. Dave Mackay came. You all know the great Dave Mackay. Dave Mackay came for one for one season, I think he was. And a lad called Tony Woodcock and myself were apprentices. So he said uh, one day, Anderson Woodcock... Come with me. So I think, oh, the manager's fancies us, might give us a might give us a rise or something. So we get in this, get in his car, and he takes us to his house, thinking, whoa, we must be in good books here. <laughs> so we go into the garden, he goes, See that lawnmower over there? Get that garden, get that garden cut now. <laughs> Three hours we were doing his garden. <laughs> Cheap labour. 
What's so literally just because he wanted his grass cut? There's no like moral of the story. And that's it. He just wanted his grass cut. Wasn't wasn't well. Those two are good players. He just went. You you come with me. We thinking. Oh great, we're in the books. Hey, he likes us. Did he pay you? Did he? Did he pay us? No. He told you he did a great trick. He got a six penny piece, flicked it up, caught it on his foot, and flicked it in his top pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we walked off and went, oh, that's quite fantastic, that. And even, <laughs> and even to this day, Tony Woodcock does that when, he, when he's had a few drinks. and his party trick. his party trick, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Flicked it in his top pocket. Not, not five attempts like you, Maisie, or ten attempts <laughs> with me. He did it one off. Flicked it up, cut his foot, put in his top pocket. Well, like, there you go. <laughs> off you go now, lads. <laughs> so that was whenever you were an apprentice... Viv? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Viv, did you did you stay in digs or did you stay at home? No, I, I, it was Nottingham, so I stayed at home. All right. I made my debut for Nottingham Forest on eighty pounds a week. Wow. As a first year pro. Yeah, yeah. And I was happy to get I was happy to get eighty quid in fairness. I was just going to say, like, was that like a one year contract, two year contract, or yeah, something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you just thought, I'm just signing. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. You're going to play somebody's first team. You could have given. I, I'd, I'd have played for Anything. nothing. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, they go, 80 quid? We won the league on 80 quid. When we won the league at Forest, I was on 80 quid. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah when exactly. did you get your rise after that? After well, you won the league? Did you go in and say, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knocked on the door. He still fobbed me off, though. <laughs> go, get out. What was it like being part of that Forest team and establishing yourself as a player and, and then you started winning trophies? Remember when we were there, there was, when I first walked in the place, it was John Robertson, Martin O'Neill, Tony Woodcock, we all go up together. So, and we end up being in the team. Gary Bertels came a little bit later. So, yeah, it was one of those things where you end up playing. I remember, always remember starting off the season. We got promoted by the skin of our teeth. I think Wolves got beat or something like that. And we end up going up in second or third place. Can't remember. Do you know what I'm like? Maybe I haven't got a clue. Anyway, we got, promo- we got in and we end up on a run and uh, kept on winning and winning again and winning again. And I always remember getting to Easter and Cluffy said, I think you lot could win this, you know. And that's the first time he ever mentioned about winning the league. Uh, with all the great teams are in it around the time and we, we managed to win it, yeah. So the answer to the question is, uh, it was a, a great time. We were very together, you know, uh, after training, we'd all go into town, have lunch, a few drinks. Uh, and then the boys used to pick up the, the kids from school would leave and the younger lads younger lads like me Tony and Robbo and a few others would stay on a bit longer <laughs> and, and it was always a team spirit every, every after every training session we all all of us all 20 odd of us would go together for lunch Jesus wow yeah so we're very close because it's a small city and you know everybody knew one another that'd be every, every day Viv in most days yeah I would say every yeah. day but most, well, so most d- days d- Thursday Friday yeah. Thursday Friday be two days off so Fridays we'd always go to uh, there was a, a cafe around the corner and we'd all go there after training and we'd have egg and chips or chips on their own or whatever it may be. And we took it in turns to pay. And every Friday we'd go, are you in the team or are you not in the team? Or are you, he's a, yeah, yeah, you know, one yeah. of those, he's a t- manager. He not picked me this team. You know what? <laughs> but, um, so we do, we do it every week. Religiously, we'd all go to this cafe on a Friday for, you know, an hour and a half or whatever it may be. And it, we'd take it in turns to pay. It's your turn to pay this week. And all the rest of it, yeah. That's what you call team spirit, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think that if you speak to the Ipswich lads, they were very similar, you know, out in the sticks and where they always stuck together. Mm-hmm. And Liverpool lads were a bit very similar to that. They always went to get went around together as families and as friends. Yeah. Wow. Who were you closest to at the time? Um, when you your first couple of years in the squad, well, Woody, we were apprentices together at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, I always remember. Where's Tony Woodcock from? It's from East Eastwood. It's a suburb of Nottingham. All right, okay. Right. So it, we were apprentices throughout, apprentices together, right? So we played Tottenham at home in the FA Cup. We drew one one, and the replays on the Wednesday. Door burst open. Cluffy comes in and says, "I'm the new manager of Nottingham Forest." Right? Team sheet goes up of the travelling squad for the Wednesday match. I'm playing with the team on the Saturday, come off with 10 minutes with cramp. The team sheet goes up for the following replay. I'm not on it. So I'm thinking, whoa, now. You came off after 10 minutes with cramp? Yes. And I wasn't on the team sheet, right? So I'm thinking, oh, the writing's on the wall here. He doesn't fancy me. And Tony Woodcock, who wasn't even in the 20 squad, was on that list. So I'm going, how's that work? So Tony goes down for the FA Cup match replay. He took a squad of, say, 20, sitting at the dinner table. And he says, uh, young Woodcock, yes, boss. He said, uh, uh, room 261, go in, here's the key. Go in there, by the table, there's a pair of shoes. Get them cleaned. So Tony goes, he looks at the longer table and he looks at the, all the senior lads and they all go, get it done, sort of thing. So he goes to his room gets a polish and brush and cleans them all up and leaves them the same place he did before, gives them his key back. For all the time when he was down there with that squad of players, he did every job you could possibly do. He took, he took him <laughs> as his dog's body. <laughs> he did every crap job you could possibly imagine. And he kept on saying, I'm getting fired up here. And all the senior lads are going, you better do it, you better do it, you just better do it. You don't want to upset the manager. And that's all he did. That's all he took him for. Did, not because of his football ability. It's because he, he wanted somebody to do his shoes or... <laughs> Iron his shirt or whatever he did all the jobs you could possibly think you don't want to do <laughs> so, so thinking on now we go on now I'm back in the team I don't know how but I'm back in the team and he's not in the team so I go you got to go and see him this is over a week you got to go and see him well, I don't know if I should you got to go and see him you want to be in the team don't you yeah 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 so we go to his office door and he goes in and I go around the corner Right. Mm-hmm. Within 10 minutes, he's out. I says, how'd it go? He said, not well. <laughs> I says, what do you say? I said, what do you say? He said, uh, as soon as I went to the door, he said, uh, oh, Woodcock, what do you want? He says, well, boss, I'd like to be in your team. My team? Yeah, your team. Oh, ideally then, son, you want to be in my team. What position do you want to play in my team? You know, centre forward up there and that little hole in behind, he said, yeah, he said, I'd like to play that position. He goes, F*** off and get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> he, say, he says, he says, either you're a centre forward or you're a midfield player. Nobody plays in that position. Get out of my office. Brilliant. True story. Oh, that was crazy. Love that. Um, one thing that's really fun here. Is I think you're definitely the first person we've had on the podcast who's joined Manchester United having already won the European Cup, not once, but twice. Is that right? Nobody else? But not that we've spoken to. There's bands, like, I'm sure people like Bastian Schweinsteiger have picked up European Cups and then gone on to join United, but that we've spoken to, you are unique in that. 
There can't be well, very many players in general. Yeah. Mm. Really? But remember this provincial town we're talking about, Nottingham, and won it back-to-back as well. I mean, yeah. you go, are you sure? <laughs> and, and, but yeah, listen, there were some good players and great times and we just carried away. We just, it's a snowball effect, you know? We just rolled along and, oh, we won this and then we won that and then we do this. You, you remember, let me talk about the Invincibles, but who had that record before them is Nottingham Forest, our team. We had it for 12, 13 years. And we, when we, I think we did 42 league games. It was half of one season and the begin and, for, and the half of the next season. Yeah. So it was, we had the record before Arsenal broke it. And we thought nobody will ever beat that. So they had some decent players that time that, that people tend to forget about, you know? Yeah, well, you, you'd have only had one sub then, would you, Viv? How old do you think I am? I'm only 27. Are you having a laugh? Yeah, you're born on the leave year, though. Sure, so, weren't you? <laughs> no, I think we no, we had more than one. I think no. When did when did yeah, when did subs come in? Sub? When did more than one subs come in? Not till quite late. Yeah. Who was? Sorry, yeah. a bit early early eighties. Do you reckon? Viv, what's what's quite funny yeah. is some of the players and and former players that we speak to have incredible memories about dates and fixtures and games and goals and minutes and and they know it all. What I love about you so far is that a bit like Paul Scholes, you don't seem to remember when anything happened, but you do remember what happened. Absolutely no idea. So but people come on, I do this from time to time. They go, you did this in what? Well, what? I don't remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember winning the European Cup in 79 and 80? Do you I remember do, that? <laughs> I do remember that. And I'll tell you a good story about that. So... It might be the second one or the first one. Well, the first one, <laughs> the first one, the week before the European Cup final, Cluffy had a, a holiday home in Kalamalaw in Mallorca. So what does he do? He takes all the squad of 20-odd players to Kalamalaw. Fair play to him. Every day we trained, every day we trained, but in the afternoons, we just went to the figging bar. So by the end of the week, we're, we're playing the following week. People in Mallorca are going, they cannot possibly play in the European <laughs> Cup in a week's time. Because all they've seen them is staggering down the high street at whatever time of the morning, absolutely lagging. And we go, what? It was his way, rightly or wrongly, his way of relaxing players. We did it on numerous occasions. I remember the Milk Cup. We played Wolves. Remember that clash with Peter Shilton and David Needham? And the ball bobs down and Andy Gray puts it in the empty net. Wolves, yeah. we got beat 1-0. Yeah. The night before, Royal Lancaster, everybody's in the bed, 9 o'clock, phone call to coach saying, everybody down in the room we had of Royal Lancaster, manager wants to speak to you. Everybody's going, Archie Gemmo. Remember Archie Gemmo? I mean, he's stalwart. He's going, I'm in bed. I'm ready, preparing for the game tomorrow. Don't matter. You've got to be down. So we come down in this room. We're all sitting there going, what's going off here? Next thing you know, a door opens in the far side, a crate of champagne, a crate of orange juice. We go, what's going off? <laughs> so Cluffy says, nobody leaves this room until they tell me a joke I like. <laughs> <laughs> so we go, what? I left that room at uh, gone midnight because I'm obviously crap at telling jokes. I woke up the next day with headache. Because you've been drinking champagne. Yeah, we've been playing. We're playing and yeah, it's unbelievable. And that was his way of relaxing people. Like before that, you know, European Cups, he did that before, relaxed us, and it worked. So he did it again at the Wolves one, didn't work. But generally, 
his way of relaxing the players, not to think about what's coming, who you're playing against and what hill you've got to climb to get this cup or whatever it may be. His way was have a drink, relax, pre-match, have a glass of wine if you want, lads, have a beer, whatever you want. His way was to relax you is by having a beer. Mm. And every, in, in many occasions, I could quote loads of times where his bottle of wine goes on the table. Help yourself, lads. Anybody fancies a drink before go to bed? Help, him, help you relax. Many times. Correct me if I'm wrong. I can't see that working now. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, you can't imagine. You can't <laughs> pet Barley Odder doing that. No. But, you know, the odd glass of wine now and again, as long as you don't abuse it, but like the Wolves one, I mean, waking up with their day, obviously you've had too many, you know. <laughs> Do you remember what your joke was, Piv? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Obviously you don't. It must have been. I must have had several because I, I was in there. I was one of the last ones in there. So <laughs> it must have, I must be crap at telling jokes. Oh. Well. That's the way it was. And then, and then the opposite side, the second European Cup, we go to, we're playing in Madrid and we go to somewhere in the middle of nowhere outside of Madrid. He said, there you go. No balls, no bibs, no nothing. So it's just a dartboard, Maisie, dartboard, <laughs> snooker table. We, so we did nothing but have a few drinks at night time, but nothing but play games. And then Peter Sheehan says, boss, I have to do some handling at least the day before. And he kept on asking him, we were there on the wet, say we're there on the games on the Wednesday, we we're there on the Saturday. Sunday had asked him, Monday he asked him, and Tuesday he finally said, all right, then you can you can do your handling, but nobody else has anything to do with footballs whatsoever. So the middle of nowhere. So the coach, a lad called Jimmy Gordon, who's sadly not with us, finds an island. That's the only piece of grass he could find, an island. Got all the stones off this island and cars are going round. And my mate was going to the game. A roundabout. A roundabout, yeah, an island. <laughs> He took all the stones off and got this little area so he could. He got one football from somewhere, found it, for to give Peter Silton some handling. And my mate was going to the game, going round this island, and he says, what's that fucking Peter Shilton? Peter <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the only one allowed to touch a football prior to the game on the Wednesday. For three days, did you say? That was three days before. You weren't allowed to do it. Three well, we days went before. on the Saturday. Saturday Sunday, Monday, Sunday Tuesday. asked him, can I do some handling? He said no. Monday he said, can I do some handling? He said no. Tuesday he relented and said, all right, you can, but nobody else. That's extraordinary. And that's the only piece of grass they can find. So the next time you, next time you actually kicked a ball would have been the warm-up of the European Cup final. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> I mean, things he did, you just go. But he was the manager. We thought yeah. he's the, he knows what he's doing. You know, he's another one. We played. This is when everybody's left now. I'm the last one to leave. And so you've got like so Stephen Hodge, Chris Fairclough, a lad called Steve Wegerly, and we get to the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup. We play Celtic at City Ground. Icy day, crap game, and I think it was nil-nil. And we go in the the clubhouse afterwards. There's loads of Celtic fans, and they go. You know, you realise Celtic have never been beaten at home in a European Cup tie, ever. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've got no chance in the replay. Your best chance was tonight. Fine. So the second leg was a week later. So on the Monday, we play on the Saturday. On the Monday, we meet at the airport to go to Glasgow for the second leg. So we go to the uh, airport, we get on the plane, land at the Glasgow airport, and we get on a coach to go to the hotel. We're staying at Troon, where the golf course is. Yeah. And the coach stops in the middle of town. Outside this pub. So everybody gets off. Physios, 
coaches, everybody. There must be 40 odd people on this coach for the second leg. Everybody goes in this pub. We have two pints each. Everybody has two pints. And we, we go back on the bus. I am to be behind Cluffy on the way back out. Remember, everybody's left now. The European Cup's gone and we've got younger lads now, you know, mm-hmm. just running about and doing okay. So I'm one behind Cluffy and Cluffy says, give that bill your boss. Thought nothing of it. He's only found out that David Hay, who's the manager of Celtic at the time, had a pub in the middle of Glasgow. <laughs> so he said, give your boss that bill and gets on the coach and off we go to two. Right, strange. Anyway, that's the Monday. We have dinner at night time, as normal. He said, everybody down, Tuesday morning, kit on, ready for training. Go down, everybody's there, ready to go. We get on the bus, thinking, oh, he's got a nice little uh, training place we can do. Second lag, we need to win to go through. You're never going to beat them, all the rest of it. We get to this marina. Marina? What's this? Or water out? What? What is this? So we get to the clubhouse, he opens the door, he goes, pool table. Darts, table tennis, bar. We'll pick you up at six. <laughs> so, what? So we play a bit and we just drink. This is the, we just drink. You do have a choice not to drink as well, though. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but being a senior player, I insist yeah. that the lads had a drink. <laughs> so he picks us up at six. We have an evening meal, bed. Next day's the game. Everybody down, training kit, and he goes. Everybody back to bed. This is the day of the game. Said, boss, we've done nothing since the game on the Saturday. And all we've done is drink in that pub and we drank at the marina. He says, I'm not going to do the accent. He goes, You're right, young man. You're right. Everybody run to that bunker there, which is about 50 yards. So you're thinking, <laughs> Well, get some a bit of a sweat on and get all this rubbish out of our system. Everybody's like, Very enthusiastic to the bunker and back. So he goes, Now bed. <laughs> And we beat them 2-1. First team to beat Celtic at home in a European tie ever. Wow. Wow. So sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, you know? Do you think those experiences, I guess that level of team bonding and stuff, were the reasons for those victories? Or do you think, say you won 2-1, could you have won 3-0 or 4-0 if you'd had a week where you were just training and running drills and practicing for the game? No, I I think his way was always a team bonding. You know, we're in this together. We're going to go to the marina. You're going to drink together. You're going to play pool. And you're going to come back together. He was never one for pieces of paper. The, 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 the winger is right foot and he comes on in. He was never for team dossiers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was all about the players he bought, got together and get them to play in a certain way, which was was attractive. And, and uh, everybody wanted to play for Nottingham Forest because the way they played. So I think his ethos was you play the ball on the ground, you play to a teammate, you look after a teammate, and what, what I ask you to do, you just do. I think you ask anybody who played for Forest at the time, same with Sir Alex. If he says, go through that wall, you'll go, I'll go through that wall. And Cluffy mm. was exactly the same. So so in the dressing rooms, no team tactics or anything? Absolutely none. If, you wouldn't even know. You know, like now, you put, you mark him five, you mark him yeah. centre forward, you mark him. Yeah. He wouldn't even do that. He'd come in like five minutes before. And the coach would go, Viv, you pick up number six and you pick up number seven and you pick up them. And we knew that's it, right? Yeah. Then Cluffy would come in and go, pick the football up and go, see that? You pass that to him or you pass that to him. And if we all do that, we'll do okay. Get yourself out. Very <laughs> short, very sweet, very simple. But Viv, do you think, obviously now watching the modern game, because you've had an experience of that, do you not think it's so complicated nowadays? Absolutely. 
absolutely. It's a simple game. Pass yeah. the ball to a teammate. Pass the ball to a teammate. And remember, Bobby Robson was great. We've got 11 battles along the pitch. I'm against the, the winger, centre-half against the centre-forward, and all around the pitch. You win your personal battles, we win the football match. Simple. Mm. You know, if you have a bad day, hopefully the other ones will get you out of the kibosh because you've had a better day against your opponent. That's how it works. You win your personal battles, you win the football match. You've got, be- you've got better players. Are you better on the day? Simple. Love that. And you pass it to A and B. Keep the ball. Simple. Yeah. Maisie yeah. used to kick in the sand from time to time, but you know, it happens. It happens. It's the way it works. It's always one. So, Viv, 79 and 80, you win the European Cup. Right. But in 1978, you created an incredible piece of history because you were the first black international that England ever had. What was that like for you? And did it feel like a moment? Did it feel like you were making history? I remember myself and Laurie. Laurie's the first black under-21 international. I was the first full international. Sadly, Laurie's not with us. Listen, it was always in the papers, debate about whether it's going to be Laurie, whether it's going to be me, and we were roommates from time to time, and we never discussed it. It's what happens, what happens. It's one of those things. I was just fortunate it happened to be me. Was it big news at the time? Yeah, it was big news at the time. They went to my old school, mum and dad interviewed and all the rest of it. Yeah, so it was... It was it was big at the time, yeah. And even now, I, I go to London, cabbies always say, Viv, I remember I was at your debut and all the rest of it. They're all, in, they're all about 97, right? But, you know, they still, they still remember. <laughs> I saw your head drop as I asked. Is it something you're, you, you've talked about enough, do you feel? Um, no, I never get fed up with talking about it. It's something you should be very proud of, and I am. You just don't want to remem- be remembered of that. You will be remembered of all the stuff we talked about beforehand, you know. Yeah. We played in a good era and a good time and in a decent team, and we managed to win, you know, as I say, European Cups and, uh, you know, winning leagues and stuff like that. So we had a decent team. And even now, we've talked about the um, Invincibles and what we achieved that all those years ago. About 12, 13 years it took before it could be beaten. So we had a decent time. We were decent players and uh, I'm proud to have uh, played in that era and that time. Did you enjoy, how much did you enjoy playing for England? Or was there, obviously you got some racial abuse. Did that kind of overshadow your enjoyment for it a lot of the time? You'd speak to Laurie, who uh, can't, obviously, Laurie Cunningham and Sylvia Regis, who's both sadly not with us. It was completely different for them than it was for me. My job was to kick people, <laughs> and theirs was to flare and score goals and look flamboyant and all the rest. They got a lot. I speak to Laurie and I spoke to so They got a, a lot of abuse, but I, for some reason, I never used to like wearing long sleeve shirts, wearing gloves and all that. I used to wear a short sleeve shirt. And my job was to kick the winger. And if he didn't like it, he'd go the other side and the other fullback would kick him back to me. You know, and that's what it was. And if I could go forward and try and score goals or make goals, it was that's a bonus. That's Cluffy. Or he said to me, your job, son, is to keep the ball out of my net. And then anything you do after that is a complete bonus. So you concentrate on kicking him and getting the ball forward and give it to somebody who can play. It was simple as that. So my time with England wasn't, Every time I played, I'd never got uh, booed or whatever it may be from our supporters. But some of our, uh, you know, Laurie and Cyril did get that. And I didn't because I think solely because of the position I played. We've seen that, I mean, happen even now with England when they've they've been away a few times in in the last few years. It it feels like there's a real moment with racism, not just in society, but 
very much within football. I mean, Raheem Sterling, obviously, when he was at Chelsea last season, I think. Yeah. Do you feel like enough is being done? No, I think the deterrent is is weak. You know, uh, you know, we we go to go abroad as England, and if you and if you get racially abused, they talk about now Gareth taking the team off, which is a three stroke rule and all the rest of it. But if you impose fines of, you know, five million pounds, I think they'll take notice very very quickly, and they'll make sure these people don't go in the stadiums. So I think the fines are pathetic, or bordering on pathetic. You know, even you know. Individuals have been done, you know. The Ryan Sterling, I, I, somebody brought that up to me the other day, and I said, "Has that still been not been resolved?" And they're playing, they're saying, "Well, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't see, we we didn't know if it was said, and was it uh, this, that, the other?" And they're making excuses for something that should be stamped out completely. But is it getting worse? Um, I think it's not getting any better. And I think uh, the fines or the punishment has got to be more severe so people take notice, especially when they go abroad. And even in our country, I know we ban them, you know, that's all we can do, life bans. But uh, when we go abroad as a, as a unit, England team, and, then they, and they get abused abroad, I think the fines have got to be absolutely massive so they don't do it again. What about when players do it? Because like, I'm just trying to think of some examples then, but like um, Joey Barton, when he got sent off for QPR against City on the last day of the season, do you remember the, the Aguero goal 2012? He got sent off because he went and kicked, uh, I think, Aguero before he left the pitch. He got like a 12-game ban for that, which is longer than pretty much anybody's had for for any kind of racism incidents. Yeah, I think, I think as you rightly say, I think it should be taken more seriously. You know, as you say, four matches, six matches, and then somebody kicks someone and gets 12, you know. I think it's equally as bad and sometimes even worse, you know. So I think the FA have to make it stringent with this in the light of what's gone off as well in America. I think we have to yeah. have to be seen to be doing the right thing and making positive signs. And, and I think the fines are bordering on pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. Did, you, did the FA ever come to yourselves? I've been to the FA and said, it's about education. And I think it's very difficult to to instill something in a 50-year-old because they've been brought up, they've got their yeah. set in their ways. It's the younger generation. And I've said to the FA, you have got Paul Ince, Dwight York, Andy Cole, myself, Rio Ferdinand, Emileski. You must have had a player's who've played at the highest level and got stories to tell. I get wheeled out to go to London, to go to a solicitor's, a big solicitor's firm in London, to when it's uh, uh, Black Week or whatever it is, yeah. to talk about my stories. And they do, it's a question and answer thing. And I say, well, why is it always that week or for that month? It should be the whole year round. Forever. And, yeah. you know, and it's an education. You should, these players I mentioned before are not involved in football, you know. And they're sitting there, they've got stories to tell, they've got experiences they can pass on to other people, but nobody's doing anything about it. And you get pushed from one, speak to him and then speak to him, and nothing ever gets done. That's my that's my qualm about the FA. They don't do it. You know, they talk about doing it, but they don't do it to the you look at us now. When I was the first manager, uh, there was me and a lad called Keith Alexander. Yeah. Keith, sadly, another one is not still not with us. He was the first black manager, he was manager of Lincoln. And I, a couple of weeks later, was manager of Barnsley, right? And the headlines in the paper was, this is the start of a new generation, right? Here we are, 30 years later, and we've still only got two managers, two black managers. So clearly something is wrong. Now, if the Rooney rule is a start, then let's put it in. You know, as long as mm -hmm. it's not lip service, as long as it, oh, 
uh, I'll interview the black person or the Asian person or the Chinese person, but I was always going to give it the white person who, who did the interview three yeah. weeks before. It, it can't be that. It's got to be done in a proper way so you have got a chance. As long as you've got the... Don't interview a black person because, because oh, he's Rio Ferdinand always... He's got to have the qualifications like everybody else and then he's got to be given a, 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 a chance to do it or not, you know, and they're not getting the opportunity. I saw where Emileski wanted to be a manager. Uh, Yorkies always wanted to be a manager. Yeah. They don't give him the opportunity. And why is that? And I, and I, I say to people, you... You look at most owners of football clubs now, then foreign owners. So you say to the foreign owner, all right then, your best mates, tell me how many are black. And they'll go, oh, not many. So they're going to employ people in their little area, in their, who they know that's got the qualifications, opposed to going out their circle and getting somebody that might be benefiting the football club. That's what's happened. You know, We've got to stop that some way. And if the Rooney Rule is a start then we've got to do it because, as I said, 30 years later, nothing's been done. I'll jump in very quickly. Uh, Viv, just for anyone who's listening who's not entirely sure what the Rooney rule is, it's a policy in the NFL that requires a team to interview at least one minority candidate for a head coaching job, a general manager position or other front office position. Maisie, here's a question for you. Because you said uh, to Viv, has anybody from the FA ever spoken to him or asked him for his experiences? Has anybody ever spoken to you or, or, or do you know any other players that have retired that are white that they've spoken to? Because it seems that you can't fix white people's racism by just saying to people that have been victims of it, well, why were people racist to you? Yeah. You, don't you need to ask people that are, that are white how they can solve these problems too? Well, this is, Viv says it's a learning curve and you've got to start from the bottom. You've got to start as, as kids, whether in, well, obviously in school, and that's where you've got to start learning from an early age. But going to the football point, now and again you get emails off the PFA about the racist things. Until something, I mean, what's happening now in America is really, really bad. But it's only now that people are actually making a stance. But they're doing it for a week, Maisie. They're doing it for a week. No, And it's all forgotten about. And this is a 12 month, this is this is a continuing thing to educate people to say, this is not acceptable in 2020. It's just not acceptable. Yeah. You know, you're not going to convince a 50 year old or 40 year old. They're set in the ways, they've been brought up a certain way, but you get to the kids and tell them their stories and tell them what they've been through and everything else. And it might click. That's the only way it's going to work. Otherwise, you just keep on doing what we're doing. Lip service. That's all we can hope is, is that there is some change, can't we? Yeah, yeah we, yeah, we can only hope, but someone's got to start somewhere. It's not an easy answer to answer the question. It's not an easy answer, you know. But remember, I, I came through an area where you had to get on with it. I remember going to Newcastle on my second game. I made my debut on the Saturday. On the Wednesday, I went to Newcastle. Well, you never see a black face in Newcastle, ever. So I go to the ground, rest of the lads, go out and walk, look at the pitch. And I got dogs abuse, absolutely dogs abuse. So I go back in the dressing room and I go to Mr. Clough and I say, listen, boss, I don't think I can play tonight. He goes, he, did, he didn't even, he just looked me straight in the eye. He says, you're playing. You wouldn't be here if you weren't good enough. You're playing. So get it all in out of your mind. You are playing. And that was it. I was lucky that I had somebody that had believed in my talent and believed that uh, I could make Nottingham Forest team a lot better. And I'm indebted to him even to this day. That's all. How did you cope with those moments? Because presumably once the, once the game finishes and you have to go home, I guess that still lingers. 
listen, footballers are mainly thick. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see by Maisie. It was one of those. I, I just, I dismissed it very early from him. Dismissed it because I wanted to be a footballer. And if I let it, I let it linger, I'd be working in Sainsbury's now because I just wanted to be a footballer. And whatever it took, I just did it. So if it meant dismissing it, going out on a Saturday afternoon and just getting on with playing football, that's what I did. And it never really affected me off the field. I didn't really, I had a load of mates who were just great mates and never mentioned it. I just, you know, and I remember position I played would have helped that, I would have thought as well. If you were forward and all the rest, it may be a bit different. But it was one of those things you just, the desire to play football at a young age dictated anything else that anybody else could throw at me. After Forest, Arsenal, you spent three years there. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I touched on it before uh, when we went to uh, Celtic. Most of the players had left. So I think I was the last one to leave of that European Cup team. And I got my... Oh, hey, Viv. Oh, oh, it's a machine. That? Is that a blade? It is, mate. Yeah. It, it's the one you yeah. got from Play On Pro. It is. It's a, it is. And, and what, how many pints is it, Maisie? I think I think it holds 16, 16 pints. 16 it's, pints. It's fantastic. You know full well how many pints now. it holds. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually just chilling. Yeah, it's uh, it's approaching 5 to 12 as we're doing this interview. So that you know, it should, it, I think I set it for about five to twelve, just so that I can have a little little swift. I'm going to say it's letting bit. you know it's time for yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I just want to explain this a little bit further. Maisie's beer machine, which we hear in most episodes of our podcast. <laughs> um, I didn't actually realise you set it for a time, Maisie. Can you reset it so it doesn't go off in every podcast? Although it's quite comforting now. <laughs> anyway, you won this blade machine at Viv's. Oh, the plan pro. We, we had uh, I think uh, one of the one of our partners is a credit card company, and they had a couple of their clients down, and we invited Maisie and a few of our ambassadors down to play a darts tournament in the um, what's it called? Fly club. The, the flight fly club, club in the middle of Manchester. It was a great venue, and uh, Maisie managed to win it because he's got a dartboard behind him, and he practices every day. <laughs> I also must say they did prepare this conversation beforehand. This did happen before. And, uh, oh, you're it sounded so good. <laughs> Sorry, Viv, you were rudely interrupted by uh, Maisie's blade machine. I can't remember where were we. You were telling me we Arsenal. Arsenal, Arsenal. We were Arsenal for three years. Uh, um, what was what was I talking about before that? No, I led up to the Arsenal. I started to say something. Oh, yes, everybody left. So uh, I just got married, and. Uh, the opportunity to come to play in London uh, at a, one of the one of the top clubs was a great pull, and the manager was uh, Don Howe, who's another one who's sadly not with us. Was my coach England, and he was the manager, and he convinced me it was time to come to Arsenal and see if I could play. And there are a load of good, great players: David O'Leary, the uh, Pat Jennings was there when I first went there, Kenny Sanson, Graham Ricks. So they had some really good players, and and a lot of them I'd played with in England. So it was a great opportunity to go and play with some of the mates I'd had. Is that the first time you'd lived outside of Nottingham then? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, bought a house near near the training ground and loved it. Yeah, great times. The expectations are great. You know, you're going now with a great uh, 
the great double winning team. You've got to live up to those expectations. But yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah. The training killed me. First day training. Uh, Don no wonder you've been drinking beer for the last eight years. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> and, we, and we trained when we when we wanted to. Yes, I agree with that. And then going to Arsenal, it was quite a different regime. So first day pre-season trainings, like a five-mile run. Oh. So we set off and like I'm hopeless at long distance running. And uh, so I'm I'm way behind everybody else. So I hear footsteps catching me up. And it was only Don Howe, who was, must have been 78 at the time, <laughs> catching me up, who set off like 45 minutes after I'd got started. So, and I had to sprint to the line to beat him. So it was a rude awakening. It was, I'd never had training like it. And so it took a bit of getting used to. But um, as you say, I had some good friends there. Tony had come back from, from Germany, Cologne, to go to play for Arsenal. So I had a mate there. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed my time at Arsenal. Um, uh, so it was the old hybrid. It was a, it was a good, it was a good time, yeah. And then another piece of history: you become Sir Alex Ferguson's first signing at Manchester United. Uh, that's not true. I Great. joined. <laughs> I came with uh, Brian McClear same day. We walked in the door at the same time, but I went alphabetically. That's the only reason. Well, there we I, go. And I keep on telling it's on him record. Every time, every time I see him, I say, uh, "I'm the first, not you." Um, yeah, so my contract was at the Arsenal. I'd been there three and a half, four years. We just won the Milk Cup. I was offered a contract, but when Manchester United come calling, you've got just got to take it. I, I said, I said to the missus at the time, if I'm seventy, I'm a rocking chair, saying I had a chance to play for Manchester United and never took it. I'd regret it all my life. So uh, we went to. We went. They just bought a house and everything. So we got support. I said, "Don't make a difference." We're going to Manchester. Uh, it was, and I'd been there as a young lad, and it was good to go back. And uh, I jumped at the chance. My first meet, I got a call from Brian Robson, who was my roommate in England, saying we've got a new manager called Alec Ferguson. I said never heard of him. He said, "Oh," he said, uh, "He just won uh, the whatever cup with uh, Aberdeen, Aberdeen, and he's going to be Manchester United manager, and he wants to start, He wants to speak to you about." Coming to Manchester United, I went. Yeah, all right. So uh, I met him, and uh, I met him in, in Nottingham, in a hotel in Nottingham. Told me to come to a certain room. I go to this certain room, sit down, and the door opens, and um, Martin Edwards walks in, and he says, uh, "Have you seen the manager?" I said, "No, I've been here 15 minutes, and you're the first one to come in." He says, "I'll try and find him then, because we came in the same car, so I don't know where he's gone." So <laughs> next minute, he goes out. Next minute, so Alex walks in. He says, "Have you seen the chairman?" I went, "You are having a laugh here, aren't you?" Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> this this happened four times. I'm going. This. What am I joining here? What sort of club's this? <laughs> but we finally got everybody in the room, and uh, we we fashed out a contract, and uh, I was pleased to sign. Can you believe it? Actually, went full circle as a kid going there, getting rejected, and then. Um, what, that was what that was ten one, years later, twelve years later. That was the, that was one of the the pools. I mean, uh, uh, to go back, I was always a man, as I said, I was always Manchester United fan. Got rejected as a sixteen year old or whatever it was. So the the, the chance to go back and play at the biggest mm. stage. I mean, I'd been at the Arsenal and seen what it's like. Uh, I only, I think I only missed three games. I think Sir Alex looks at your past record. I only missed three games in four years or something like that. So he knew. I was in going there. He's always going to be injured or whatever it may yeah. be. So he looked at that, and uh, it was a great opportunity to go and play for a club that I always supported. So I jumped to the chance. Can you, can you remember the conversation he had, Viv, with you 
of what you know where where he was going to play you. What was he? Well, I, you know, I, I vaguely remember I played for Arsenal. When Arsenal go too high, Old Trafford on a thirteen game undefeated. Uh, run yeah so Sir Alex must have been just uh, he hadn't he must have just took over the team at the time because he hadn't signed anybody because obviously I was the first time so we play there and we get beat 1-0 little little Gibbo scored mm-hmm. and Norman and I have a confrontation when the ball's at the other end of the pitch you know he gets David, young David Rocastle sent off kicks him late David real- yeah. retaliates he gets sent off at the other end of the pitch the ball's down there I said you're nothing but a Bleep, 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 bleep. Uh, he said, getting the kids sent off. Yeah, bleep, 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 bleep. And Norman would go, go on, hit me. I'd love you to hit me. So I've got my fist like that. <laughs> so I, I, I don't do it. And Sir Alex saw how I stood up to him and subsequently, later on, wanted to sign me. So every time we meet up with England, I'd go to Robbo. See that white side? He's the biggest you could ever <laughs> give breath into and he goes if he's all right he's a good lad honestly he's a good lad I went he's a tosser <laughs> slaughtered him right so first day at Old Trafford at the oh, cliff no. so I meet I meet Robbo outside we come in he said um, lads to Anderson so go around shaking everybody's hand so go to Norman Robbo goes go on then Tell him what you've been saying for the last two years <laughs> <laughs> I go I go Hi, Norm. I don't believe a word he's saying. I always fancy you a good lad. So, and we were mates ever since after that. So, we yeah. always kept in touch. So, you know, but it was always good to go back. I mean, always wanted to play for Manchester United. And as I said, when you're old and you think I had a chance to play and don't take it, you regret it. How did uh, Sir Alex compare to Brian Clough? They're very similar in many, many ways. Very strict. You do what they say, uh, you play the same way they play they want to play football attractive way he said <laughs> Cluffy would say it was made to be played up there in the sky they put grass up there so you play they play on the floor pass and move and they're very very similar and everybody were very uh, respectful of them and they're both great managers and, and you're going to ask the same question who would you choose and I've gone it's very difficult to choose between the two you got to you, 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 you choose Cluffy for the bit <laughs> I know, you just go, yeah. how can you choose between those two? One, one won the back-to-back European Cups, one's won everything, and won the league eight times and all the rest of it. But I always say, if I'm going to choose, and it would be, if, if hopefully Sir Alex isn't listening, is, is because Forrest was like 19,000 average gate. We used to get the cows off the training field to train. You know, Manchester United always had the best facilities. They could get the best players. You know, it was a completely different time. But I would just tip Forrest because of what they did achieve in that short space of time. Yeah. I never really understand that question anyway. We're like, why do you have to choose? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I do you don't know. Do you know what I mean? They always want to compare, don't they? Everybody wants to compare. It's like comparing George Best. It's like comparing George Best now. Would George Best be able to play now? Yeah. Absolutely, 100%, he would. And you say, why? Because it trained better, it's better facilities, the pitches are better, the balls are better, the boots are better, and he just adapts like everybody mm-hmm. else would. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. He, he, Bobby Moore, could he play today? He's telling me, Boosie, Boosie couldn't run, but he had a great football brain, and Bobby Moore, behave yourself. They all could play. They'd all just adapt to the circumstances and what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should say for the statisticians out there that will, that will be drumming their fingers, getting on edge, so Alex won 13 league titles. In the Sorry. Premier League. 
Sorry, it's okay. Sorry, I just sorry. thought I feel like we should get that in. We'd be in trouble otherwise. It's more than eight, anyway. It's, it's more than eight. <laughs> what was what was your first season at United like? I got injured really early on. As I say, I came from Arsenal. We only missed three games, four games in three seasons, four seasons, and I got kicked on the heel, and uh, it bled and formed into into uh, bone. So every time I put my foot down, it was sore. And they tried everything. Chemotherapy, they had uh, pads for my boots so could I had a hole cut out so I could protect it. And it didn't work. didn't train throughout the week, just play on Saturdays. So it, was, it wasn't the best of starts. But I think we ended up uh, runners up. The pitch wasn't the best. Remember, we used to get it and just launch it in the corners because that's where the grass, there was a bit of grass there <laughs> and it was mud in between. So we ended up runners up that season. So it um, wasn't best for me, but... Uh, his first, the season, the first season under Sir Alex was, we ended up runners up to Liverpool. What was it like, obviously, coming into that club and you've got Robbo, Whiteside, Sparky, McGrath? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the drink, the drinking culture of it all. Well, listen. Was you, was you, did you get into that bit or was you? I'd, I'd go around with them because we all lived in the same area. So yeah, yeah. I always remember, uh, listen, everyone thinks everyone, we were all pissed at that stage. You know, we'd be drinking <laughs> seven days a week, which is impossible to, to no, play to yeah. a level on a Saturday afternoon. Our last night out was always Wednesday. Yeah. After Wednesday, Wednesday night would be the last night out if we ever went out. So we go out after games on a Saturday, but up till Wednesday, that's it, full stop. I think I can remember going out on a Thursday, maybe half a dozen times in a 20-year in a period. Mm. So it was all a myth about this, that, and the other. But when they go, when we went out, we did drink a fair bit. <laughs> and I've been in the composition with, well, not, I've been with McGrath and Whiteside, Robson, Kevin Moran could drink, you know. So, yeah, we, we did enjoy ourselves, but up to, a, up to a point, because you can never play to a level if you're drinking no. as much as everybody seemed to think we were. Mm-hmm. Where, where would you put yourself in that, that five? Oh, try fifth. Probably seventh. <laughs> I'm not in the. I'm not in their league. I'm, I'm the one. We'd be at a bar, and next thing you know, they'd say, "Where's Viv gone?" I'd Where's go Viv? to the toilet and sneak out the back. Gone, <laughs> gone. I'm not. I'm not hanging around. <laughs> I've room with you a few times. Yeah, and you're like, "Where's Viv?" No you get to your room at like three o'clock, and you're like, "No, no, no." Crispy, be- crispy white sheets, marshmallow pillars. That's me beckoning after a certain while. Love that. I'm the same. <laughs> what were uh, what were the seasons like that followed? So in your debut season, runners up in the league, probably thinking, well, we're going to have a crack at this on. next year. This is last orders. How long have we been on here? <laughs> <laughs> We've only got on to Man United. Casey, you told me it was a short little interview. I'm going to be 10 minutes. I'm Can't trust here. anything he says. An hour and hour. Listen, you, speak now. listen, listen. You'll, you'll get paid overtime oh, for it. Right, we'll look after you. Go on. Yeah. Question oh. again, sorry. Well, so what, were the, what were the following years? Like after coming second, presumably you're thinking, right, we're going to have a crack at the league next year. And then it, it didn't happen. Yeah, I think we were always good at the cup competitions, you know. A bit like the Arsenal. When I was at the Arsenal, you look at the players mentioned, you know, Marino, Woodcock, Ricks, uh, Sanson, Dave O'Leary. We had some really good players, but never really fulfilled their potential. We were good in cup competitions. As I say, when I when I left, we won the Milk Cup. We beat Liverpool. And the same with the uh, with the Man United. We were we weren't consistent enough to win the league. We had some good good players, and and I think uh, Sir Alex was trying out the younger lads that were there, the Beardsmores and people like that, yeah. who were who were recommended by the coaching staff to give them a chance. 
And he obviously wanted to give them a, a big enough chance to see if they were going to be good enough. And subsequently, they weren't quite good enough for Manchester United. Um, so he was going through a dodgy period prior to we winning the cup. I remember going to Forest, one of my old clubs, and um, we uh, I'd never I'd never gone back and won there. And uh, Mark Robbins scored, managed to win one nil, mm-hmm. and managed to win the cup that year. So and I think the catalogue from that uh, went on from there. Then you got the bit, the gigs and the skulls and the butts and the two Neville's coming through, and then uh, it was time for Mr. Anderson to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the potential in Sir Alex Ferguson? Obviously, the first couple of years, it was like, oh, is it going to win anything? Did you see that? Because um, obviously, you'd played under a genius before. Did you ever see a little bit of what he would become? That that was the reason I went. Because I, I had a chance to stay at the Arsenal. I had a contract. But he convinced me, in when I went up to see him, that he was driven and he wanted to make Manchester United great again. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be a part of that. So the driving force behind it was always him and Kathy at the desk as you come into Old Trafford. Because <laughs> Kathy made you so welcome, it was unbelievable. I thought it was my mum, my second mum. She was unbelievable. <laughs> Even now when I go back, how are you? Yeah. How are they? She was fantastic. So she convinced me, as well as Alex, that uh, it was the right move for me. Mm-hmm. 51 years she's been there. I think it's a 51, 50. I mean, unbelievable. I and did still- ask her last time, obviously it was before lockdown, but I saw her in um, the ATC and I was like, Kath, we need to get you on for a podcast. But oh, no, no, oh, no, 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 not me, not me, not me. <laughs> she could tell some stories about Oh, my goodness. So the oh, thing yeah. is about Kath, she would never tell them because she's. That's right. No. That's too confidential right. what a lovely lady honestly yeah. she just she walked in the door Fantastic. she made you so welcome mm-hmm. you're going oh this is great especially coming from London as well where the people can yeah. be a bit offish you just go wow this is great this is yeah. can, what can I do for you love you know this that the other she was fantastic it's amazing you were instrumental in the rebuilding of Manchester United though was that something that you felt at the time yes I mean subsequently when I left so Alex could have got money for me. I went to Sheffield Wednesday because Ron Axon was the manager. But he said, I want you to come back for the European Games uh, because your your experience will be vital to some of these young lads, now, the Giggses, the Scholeses and all the rest of them who were in the team at the time. So, yes, I mean, hopefully I've helped along the way. I mean, I was disappointed that, you know, the injury kept on getting injured Then I dislocated my kneecap. I had the heel injury. And I was conv- I'm saying now I'm going to make myself really fit because I was, as I said earlier, I was hopeless at long distance running. So I got over the heel problem. So in the pre in the preseason when we were off, I went ev- every day training, running, 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 and then first day preseason training, I was at the top at the front, and the boys are going, "What the figs happened to you?" <laughs> I was hopeless. I mean, hopeless was not the word, honestly. You know, Burns and Lloyd, they were all in front of me because I was that far behind. I, 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 when I was at Forest, I was that far behind. Somebody stopped in a car and said, "Viv, jump in!" So I get in the car, and he took me to the front to where the lads were, <laughs> which about a mile further on. And I'd get out of the car They're and, and start running. <laughs> <laughs> I was that. I was that bad. So I did enough training to get myself really fit up the top. And everybody goes, whoa, what's look, Viv's really up for it this season. So we must have had five or six days pre-season at the cliff and at the uh, Littleton Road. And then one afternoon said, we'll go back in the afternoon, Littleton Road. We have a little five-a-side, little five-a-side, get my foot cut in the grass, dislocated my knee again, out for three months. Oh. So, you know, it didn't, didn't really work out. But people say, do you regret your time in Manchester United? I went, you must be mad. 
fantastic. No, I wouldn't swap it for the world. It was a great experience. wasn't great for me. I, could, should, I should have played more games because I, I had a record of playing more games, but it happens. And if you say to me, you look at what you've done over your career, I mean, Manchester United was a great experience and I would never swap it for the world. Mm-hmm. Love that. If you if you look back at your career, for you, what are the, the real moments that stand out? People will say the European Cups. I would say no. I would say winning the league with Forest that first year. Because winning the Cups is... Remember, back in the day, it wasn't 20-odd games. It was eight games. It was a champions of each in Europe. Yeah, so league, yeah. it was a knockout. You have a bad night, you're out. So it's eight games, home and away. That was it. You know, so you have a look on the night and you manage to win it. Great. But with the league, you can't, it can't be luck. It's got to be done. Like Maisie, you can't, you, you've got to be consistent. Week in, week out. When it's raining, when it's sunshine, when it's snowing, you have to perform to a level to win football matches. And that's the only way you win leagues. So I always say, winning the European Cups is great. Being in the FA Cup final is great. But winning a league means you've been consistent for 12 months or nine months or however long the season lasts for. Now, do you agree? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I love how casually you went, yeah, winning European Cup finals is great. Yeah, yeah, but you, you <laughs> analyse it. Say that. You, you analyse it and you go, yeah, it's great. It's a great achievement. But winning leagues, you know, when you're back sore and you've got to go out and play and you've got to try and win. It's a bread and, bread and butter yeah, it's a bread and every weekend. That's what you're yeah. yeah. up on. We, consistent yeah. performance. That's how you've got to the level is be buying consistent week in, week out. Not one week you're great, next week you're rubbish. You know, you've got to be consistent throughout that period yeah. to win anything. Win anything. Yeah. So what's next for you, Viv? What's the plan? Well, I'm going back to bed. <laughs> I'm mentally and physically drained after this. Maisie said, it's only going to be 10 minutes. Look at a 10-minute podcast, you'll be fine. Why would you trust him? No, I don't. I've seen no better. When oh. Maisie texts me, I should always go, delete. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been good it's been good thanks chaps listen send it it's me pleasure. and I'll uh, I'll put it in uh, wherever probably the bin thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed enjoyed that chat Viv it's been great Viv thank you for talking to us you're welcome yeah normally Viv we end like so Viv it's been great speaking to you but you've actually turned it around and you're saying yeah, so right just send me. it me in there you know, yeah. last orders it's last orders <laughs> hey dread who's on next that's all I can say <laughs> all of that that's what I say. Follow that. Just you go and get back to your Netflix. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going back to bed, definitely. Crispy white sheets, marshmallow pillows. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Sounds lovely. Before we go to your marshmallow pillows, uh, we always ask our guest who would be a future podcast guest. But for you, I don't know whether you're going to recommend anybody because <laughs> I'm not sure you've enjoyed it. So who would you recommend for us? For you to do? Yeah. Yeah, who else should we get on? Absolutely, 100%. Eric. Oh, we've had him. Oh, we've done it. Have you? Yeah. And how was he? Amazing. Yeah. He was 10 times better than you. He'll be he'll be interesting, I would have thought. I'll tell you a story about Eric. Please. Yeah. Do I tell you a story? If you've got time. Viv, you can listen to it. You can listen to the podcast. No, no. He, he, uh, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm the captain of Sheffield Wednesday and we're training. We, it's all frosty. So Trevor Fans is the manager and he gets to find a, like an AstroTurf per, we, we can train on. AstroTurf. And he said, oh, I've got somebody coming over to play from France in this uh, 11-a-side game. 
Again, a mixture of all of us together. Oh, right, great, yeah. It's only Eric, right? So Eric turns up. He scores three in this practice match. So Trevor said, after the practice match, Trevor said, pulls me, Nigel Pearson, the senior players. Listen, what, what do you think? I said, a bit lazy, but he's got something. So Trevor says, yeah, I think so as well. I'll invite him back this afternoon. So he goes to Eric, says, uh, once you're back this afternoon, we're going to have another little session. He goes, Eric goes, no, <laughs> no. So he goes to the airport and only Leeds have been watching the, it was an open air thing. So Leeds scout had watched that training session and collared him between going back to the airport and he signed for Leeds. Wow. Oh, uh, True story. Jesus. Wow. Hey, I've got some stories. There they are. Tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. Some... Viv, was you, was you marking Eric? <laughs> he was on my team. <laughs> <laughs> you set him up then. <laughs> yeah. So Ellen, so answer your question. Uh, anybody, or he has to be a Manchester United player. Um, uh, some sort of link to Manchester United. Oh, since it's called the United Podcast, it would help. Um, Russell Beardsmore. Beardo, mm-hmm. very good. Because he came when Alex was there and he was one of the whiz kids that was going to be in the team. He subsequently didn't, went somewhere else and I think he's working down in Southampton yeah, somewhere he now. So he'll have a story to tell about, you know, afterlife and during when he was there. So he'd be a good one. Thank you, Viv. You're welcome. We'll try that. Cheers. Right, enjoy your sleep. Been a pleasure, mate. Good to see you, Viv. Thanks, chaps. And you, Ellen. Good to see you again. See you later. Cheers, Viv. So that was Viv Anderson. Maisie, put your tripod away. Sorry. Viv Anderson. Yes, Viv. He's so funny. He's great. He's great. Very funny. Imagine, yeah. imagine players now going back, what, 25, 30 years, playing in Viv's era? The stories and the drinking sessions near enough every day and, you know, eating egg and chips on your Friday Friday pre-match meal. Peter Shilton on a roundabout. Peter Shilton on a roundabout. Sorry, can we just... Why Why have I not asked him at the end of the podcast why he calls a roundabout an island? Does anybody else do this? Maybe it's a Nottingham thing. I was actually imagining an actual island. <laughs> and that's why I, I, so I came into it and just said... It is actually an island, like a roundabout. Yeah. But imagine that. Day before a European Cup final. Imagine that uh, day, just like... Yeah, Schmeichel, Schmeichel in the <laughs> middle like of... Like a roundabout wherever. outside Trafford Centre. <laughs> People are driving round, going round the roundabout two or three times just to check it's him. The England goalkeeper. Uh, it's mental. So yeah. good. But also, like, Cluffy's approach of, no one needs to kick a ball, just get the beers in, have a few games of pool, have a game of darts... It, it just seems so different to everything we know now about how football is played and how the game is approached and sort of nutritionists and sports scientists and stuff. It, it's bizarre. Maisie, I think that if you're... Listen, this could be a good time as any to go into management. That should be your approach. <laughs> bring that back, well, Maisie. J- just go on the lash. Yeah. yeah, just bring your beer machine with you. Well, do you know what? I mean, you hear it so many times now about old, older managers and the old brigade... Because obviously sports science wasn't around then, and egg and chips on a on a Friday afternoon, and it'd probably go on of steak and chips. You know, pasta were invented in in the seventies with with um, English Not football. Sure, yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> but nobody did ever think of that. Why Lazio were so good? Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> but imagine imagine being a pre-match and you say, "Oh, I'll have um, could I have spaghetti bolognese or something for pre-match." In the 70s, they'd be like, what? 
What on earth are you on about? Yeah, but didn't you say your pre-match meal in your early days was steak and chips? Yeah, yeah. And then you get up here. Robbie Savage, to a certain point in his career, his Saturday morning would be a full fry-up before a game. But yeah, steak and chips, chicken and chips before a game on a, on a, on a Friday, that'd be pre-match. It's a lot of chips. Yeah. Love chips. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was quite fun about that was, I think, obviously, Maisie, he felt that you told, told him it was only going to be 10 minutes. So to begin with, he was giving us quite short, quick answers. And then I guess he realised he was stuck and then he really opened up about 20 minutes in. Yeah, because he knew then that I, I had him. And um, <laughs> when, he actually, when I spoke to him, oh, I don't know, 10, 12 days ago, I said, listen, we want you on the podcast. What is it? And Viv has to know everything about it. How long? Who's it with? And I actually texted him last night as I, I'll send over the, um, the Zoom meeting. Who's on? How long? I said, listen, it'll be about an hour. That's it. Hour, hour, an hour max. Right. And there you go. <laughs> so I have, to, I have to tease them in. But once, as you say, Sam, once you get chatting, that's it. The floodgates open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. Brilliant podcast. Brilliant character as Viv. Let's hope he listens to this one because he's never listened to a podcast. Um, as well as all of that, there was the more serious stuff as well that we spoke to Viv about. Um, obviously, we talked about racism um, and everybody's talking about that at the minute, not just in football, but but in the whole world. Um, and Viv understandably had a lot of passionate views. And of course, no one from the FA was actually on the call with us. So I've done a bit of wider reading uh, since uh, Viv hung up and we finished our interview with him. Um, and I think there's some uh, positive stuff that's been happening that it is definitely worth talking about and, and shining a light on because it's good that good things happen in football. Um, So the FA's Paul Elliott wrote an open letter to English football uh, outlining their push for equality and leadership. And Chris Powell off of Cholton is now the FA's elite coach placement um, program. He's the head of that. He's he's running that. So that should mean we do see change. And not only that, the FA have announced recently that they've updated their minimum sentencing for discrimination, which has a mandatory education uh, sort of course as part of that sentencing program, which feels so relevant because Viv said nothing will change without education and that is the key thing um so i i I don't know i think that seems really cool um and it's great that viv was happy to share his opinion with us and that you know we've got this platform to talk about it because it is great especially i think you know in lockdown to sit and talk about football and get into some of those great stories but sometimes there's there's bigger stuff going on and this feels like that there's bigger stuff happening around the world uh and and it's cool that viv would come on and share his stories with us and and we sort of join that conversation um so i thought it was great as you say helen a great podcast and i loved having viv on Mm -hmm. um shall we do some emails I think we should. Before you read the first one, though, here's a fun thing. Uh, I'll credit producer Tasker with this. Viv Anderson told us he was Sir Alex's first signing by the benefit of alphabetical order. So Sir Alex's first signing was Viv Anderson. His final signing was Wilfred Zaha. A genuine A to Z. Love that. Maisie's not bothered. How sad are you? If it wasn't worth uh, interrupting the emails, I can only apologise and we'll blame it on Tasker. Um, read some emails. Yes. Craig McNaughton said, your podcasts have been a highlight every week recently and the guests have been some of the best so far. I just listened to the Ryan Giggs episode and that's now my favourite as I have a slight personal connection. I knew him when he was Ryan Wilson when he went to school together in uh, Swinton. I feel proud to have called 
him a friend long ago and I'm also aware he didn't have it easy growing up and appreciate how hard he must have worked to achieve the legend status he now has. I have attached a photo of his first school team photo. It's not hard to spot him. I'm stood behind him and thankfully my hair grew to match my ears. <laughs> I moved to Scotland not long after that photo and there was no way of keeping in touch with anyone back in those days really but still remember the goosebumps watching him on TV running out of the tunnel at Old Trafford for the first time. Love you guys and the work you do uh, and did previously as well in Maisie's case. Keep on keeping on. And there is the photo. Thanks, Craig. Uh, what's amazing is Ryan Giggs is not the captain of this team. No. Wonder what happened to the guy with the ball in the middle. Uh, I've got one from uh, Barry in Glasgow. He says, hi, guys. Just wanted to say I've just finished listening to the Albert Morgan podcast and I haven't laughed as much as that in a long time. I'm out walking my local area trying to cover my face so other people don't think I'm crazy walking around laughing my head off. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Barry. Cheers, Barry. Thanks, Barry. Cheers, Barry. John Kelsall says, Hi, all. Thanks for the podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to all of them on my early morning runs in lockdown. I think what I will take from them is the fact that everyone you've spoken to seem genuine, honest, and possess a drive that has carried them through their career to become a United player. And I think one of the reasons United have been so good over the years is from the character um, or person they have chosen. The biggest surprise to me was the Lee Sharp interview, where again, he seems a genuine honest person with the drive but at the same time it saddened me that his time at United was bittersweet and I'm listening wishing I could put it right for him everyone else appears to have really enjoyed their time at Old Trafford again thanks for the podcasts and I shall look forward to listening to the next one thanks Johnny I've got one from Iad Iad says only recently discovered the podcast and already loving it especially the Evra podcast I'm from Adelaide Australia and have never been to a United game however I have not missed watching a single game for four years now hopefully one day I'll be able to watch them live thanks Iad thanks Iad and hopefully you will get to Manchester if you do let us know Thank you very much indeed for your emails. Once again, guys, do keep them coming in and any suggestions you do have. Hopefully we are getting through some of your suggestions. Um, do get in touch in the usual way. United Podcast at manunited.co.uk. That's UTD Podcast at manunited.co.uk. That address is in the show notes if you need it. And as always, we would really appreciate if you could rate and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya.